G'day and welcome to the Sea Creatures Podcast, a show all about the amazing animals that live beneath the waves. Each episode, we chat about a specific sea creature with a guest who has spent time and interacted with a specific ocean animal. Our guests range from marine biologists, underwater photographers, citizen scientists, scuba divers, and anyone with an intense passion for marine life. My name is Matt Testoni, and I'm all of the above. And in this episode of the Sea Creatures Podcast, we're going to be chatting to Jake Wilton, all about whale sharks. And Jake's an underwater photographer and nature photographer and travel photographer. He does some amazing work and has had a real killer whale shark photo in one of the recent Ausgeo comps. Welcome to the show. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having me. No worries. So you take photos of whale sharks is one of like the things I know you best for. But how did you get into taking photos of whale sharks and end up in Ningaloo Reef, which is the reef on top of Australia? Yeah, so it's Ningaloo Reef's on the northwest coast of Australia, about 1,200 k's north of Perth. And um, I first got into taking photos of whale sharks uh, when I moved there. So I worked as a dive instructor on the east coast, and I travelled Australia for a few years, and I stopped in to dive with the whale sharks as a tourist because one of those things as an avid diver is high on your bucket list, you know. So I wanted to go there and do that, and I fell in love with them straight away, and I knew I had to go back there. Uh, it wasn't until about 18 months later, I got offered a job there to go work as a whale shark guide. And that's what brought me to Ningaloo Reef. From there, I didn't actually have a camera or work as a photographer for most of my time in the dive industry. And it was only in about 2019 when I got offered a job on one of the tour boats that I started taking photos. And then it sort of snowballed from there. So that's when I first got my opportunity to take photos of them. And living on Ningaloo Reef, it's the main draw card there. So it's inevitable that you'll end up photographing them. Cool. And so, I mean, it's one thing to photograph, I feel like, a turtle or something, but whale sharks are massive. So tell us what exactly is a whale shark? Like, give us a good picture of it. Yes, yeah, sweet. So whale sharks, for people who aren't that familiar, I'm sure most of the audience will be, but whale sharks are a shark. They're not actually a whale, contrary to their name, but they're the largest species of shark or fish in the world. So they grow to about sort of 12 to 14 metres in length. Um, there's unconfirmed reports of like 18 meter sharks back in the day before scientific recordings. Um, but in this sort of day and age, they think about 12 to 14 meters is the average in the maximum size. And they're a filter feeding shark. So they basically roam the oceans for thousands of kilometers a year uh, on the search for plankton, krill and fish to feed on. Cool. So extrapolate a little bit on like what a filter feeder is. So basically it's pretty simple. Like a whale shark, they've got a meter and a half wide mouth uh, and they, they actually have teeth, but they don't use them to feed. So basically they sort of open their mouth, you think like a manta ray, and they swim through all this microscopic plankton and then swallow that and they basically filter it out from the water and feed on that. So they're feeding on microscopic food rather than general shark. You know, you think of a reef shark, which would hunt an actual fish and bite and chew it. So a whale shark's basically like a big net. If you've got a net and dragged it through the water, that's basically what it's doing. Yeah, because, I mean, the previous episode we were talking about plankton. And like plankton's just basically any kind of little small animal or anything that can't really move away. So a filter feeder, I guess, just scoops yep. like, I've even heard they like, they'll eat yes. squid and stuff if they can catch them too. Yeah. So that's a funny thing. Like a lot of people always think whale sharks, like, oh, they're so friendly because they're just a filter feeder. But 
most people don't realize they're just eating like millions of little babies. You know? <laughs> so actually they're a, they're a baby eater. So they're probably the worst sharks there is you know, if you think of it in terms of that. But yeah, so plankton's just basically any of the organisms that of a certain size, you know, of that smaller sort of size. So yeah, juvenile fish, jellyfish. Um, I've, I've sort of noticed that the, well, from what I've seen, the larger jellyfish, they tend to spit out. So whether or not they eat jellyfish, I'm not 100% sure, but a lot of that microscopic life, like juvenile stuff, eggs, spawn, krill, that sort of thing is what they focus on. Yeah. Have you seen one spit a jellyfish out? Or like, how would it even happen? I, I can't imagine. It's weird. I've seen when they're just along the Ningaloo Reef, they'll be feeding. It's got the giant mouth open. You're swimming alongside them and you see like a jellyfish or a, uh, a big clump of seaweed and it goes in the mouth and then it just spits back out again like as if they regurgitated or if you like think of if you get a fly in your mouth and you just spit it out that's exactly <laughs> what it looks like so most of the time it doesn't even come out the gills they just must do like a back flush back out over the top of their head and then keep going wow yeah because i heard they can like cough and clear stuff but i didn't know they like cough up an entire jellyfish that's awesome yeah it's weird eh? like a you don't see it that often but if there's enough stuff in the water you just if you take notice you'll see things come in and out all the time yeah and so the whale sharks you encountered up in Ningaloo, are they there all year or do they go somewhere? Like, how, how does it work? So whale sharks, they migrate all around the world, basically. They're in every ocean, all the tropical oceans in the world. But the ones on Ningaloo, they're predominantly sub-adult males or juvenile males. Um, and they migrate basically from there up towards the northern Indian Ocean, out west up to Indonesia, Christmas Island and stuff. So Ningaloo, they basically arrive around that sort of late February, March to early April, and they stay around to sort of July, August, September. Uh, it sort of coincides with the big coral spawning event, which in turn triggers the explosion in planktonic life and tropical krill and sort of kickstarts the whole food chain. Um, and so they're there to feed on the stuff that's feeding on the coral spawn, basically. So they aggregate for a few months of the year there because um, of the high concentrations of food, and then they'll move off in the off-season, basically. But there's still some there throughout the off-season but not in the numbers that you get throughout that middle part of the year. So you mentioned they're mainly males up at Ningaloo. Why is that? And how do you tell a male and a female whale shark apart? Well, they're not too sure exactly why. So there's not really any known large female aggregations in the world. Most of the aggregations that you see and hear about are juvenile males. When you say juvenile, they don't mature to about 25 to 30 years old, they believe, and about seven or eight metres. So you're still swimming with extremely large animal but they're considered juvenile and the way you can tell is with sharks and rays with all the um, sharks and rays is their claspers so basically below the pelvic fins on a shark if you have two big dangly appendages or sausages they're um, called claspers and they're the male reproductive organs so the females don't have them but the males do the whale sharks being juvenile even though they're that big it's quite hard to tell so what happens is the photographers on the tour boats or one of the swimmers at the end of the swim when everything's sort of calmed down, they'll just do a bit of a duck dive down off to the side and have to look up underneath because they're quite hidden. When they're mature, they're like big giant things hanging out the back, basically. So it's quite easy to tell. But because it's more of a juvenile population, you have to go in and check a bit closer. Yeah. And, and the ones that hang around all year, are they like, because I know that you get some big ones up at Ningaloo, but are they usually the year round residents or how does, how does that work? Uh, I'm not 100% sure. I think it's more just they come and go. So I think the ones that are pop up in the off season, I think are just wanderers that are passing through and just you happen to have the plane up at the right time and they're, and they're there. Um, the main aggregation, as I mentioned, is just through that autumn through to winter period. 
we see him for the most part. And they sort of move up and down the reef. But then in that off season, when they sort of dis- disperse, it's sort of like a starburst pattern. So there's no real, what you call like permanent residence or anything like that. They sort of, the ones that have tagged, like some just go west, some go south, some go northwest. It's sort of, they just disappear. And then you just have random ones pop up. So I don't think it's so much residential, but you do get the same sharks returning each year to the Ningaloo for the feeding thing. So if you see some uh, with, with obvious scarring and things like that, you can notice the same sharks year after year. Yeah, because I do know that you can take like a photograph of them and they have like a fingerprint pattern, don't they? Is that something you get involved in? Yeah, so all the photographers on the boats um, do the same or anyone that goes on the boats as a guest, as a tourist and swims, you can lodge the, the photos in there to identify um, so basically from their pectoral fin to their gills back to their dorsal, that little section there, each whale shark has a spot pattern and the spot pattern's unique to the animal, much like a zebra. So if you take a photo of that, then they can use an app, basically basically like a NASA star mapping technology, I think is where it came from. And then they can sort of match up the dots and then they can see their different individuals. Um, you get more obvious ones like with you know missing dorsals or big scars and things like that, but that's the most definitive way to identify them. Uh, but anyone can do that and you can just lodge it within the the right places and then i think you're you're allowed to name them and that occasionally like if you identify one yeah are there any uh jake wilton's swimming around out there no i've I've never named one i've i've id'd a lot of manta rays though because manta rays are very similar with their their belly patterns they're another filter feeder but i still haven't named any actually <laughs> i'm like I'm, i always forget to i should have should have but maybe when i go back i'll uh, try and name one you mentioned like you know you kind of see these animals from the plane and then you go dive with them so, like, kind of explain what the day like with the whale shark is, where it starts, and and what it feels like to swim alongside one of these like amazing animals. Yeah. So, uh, so people who haven't been there before, even people that haven't, want to reminisce. It's quite a, an epic day, you know. So you can either depart from Coral Bay or Exmouth, which are both on the Ningaloo Reef in Northwest Australia, and you start the day out by um, you head on the boat and you go for a morning snorkel, get used to your gear, and check out the reef. You know, search for turtles and reef sharks and things like that. And then the day really kicks off when you head outside the reef uh, and the aeroplane comes up in the air. And then basically what you do is you patrol the back of the reef, basically not sometimes it's like really close. Other times it's quite far offshore, uh, but the depth doesn't matter too much because the whale sharks are generally on the surface or the ones you swim with will be. And then the aeroplane will do grid searches up and down the coast until they locate the whale sharks. And then they sort of coordinate with the boat who brings you on and then, the boat will then put a photographer in, um, such as myself or uh, another guy or, or girl, and they go and spot it. And then once they spot it, they basically signal which way it's going and position up so the boat can drop the guests in so you can line up and let the whale shark come to you. And then you just turn and swim along with it. And it sounds really simple, but normally the first time you do it, it's like chaos. You know, the adrenaline's pumping, there's fins everywhere. So it's like if you do go and do it, uh, make sure you get in more than once because you'll do a few swims with it and it just gets better and better because it gets easier to know what to expect. Uh, but some can be like really fast and some can be really slow. Some chase your around circles, you know, every experience is different. Um, same with the sizes, you know, you can sort of get three, four meter sharks or you can get seven or eight meter sharks. So every day is different. Sometimes you can see them doing crazy behaviors like feeding. Sometimes they're just cruising on the surface. They're sort of one of those animals that they're, it's so special to see and it's so surreal. And no matter how much you build it up in your mind, when you see one, you're still in disbelief. You know, there's such a special animal. Even the the smaller sharks are incredible. And I always say to people on the tours, you know, if you get out after a swim and say it's a three or four meter shark 
and they like, oh, you know, that was a pretty small shark. And you, I always say to them, like, you know, if that was a three, four meter tiger shark, you'd be backpedaling out of the water, you know. So <laughs> it's like uh, put that in perspective, and they're usually like, oh yeah, you're right, you know, it's huge. And then when they get in again, they appreciate it a lot more because generally that first swim, the adrenaline's so much, you don't really take it in. But once you stop and really start taking it in, you realize just how ancient and big and beautiful the animals are, you know, and just their movements are just so slow and graceful, yet they're so powerful and can move so fast. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, so pretty much after that, once you finish swimming with the whale sharks, on the tours, you generally get up to an hour. So that could be you know, three, four, five, six swims. Uh, what they do is they'll have, say, there's 20 people on the boat, 20 guests. It's only one boat per whale shark during the swim, and they'll split that in half. So 10 people in the water maximum at a time, and that one group will get in, swim along, and then to make it easier, that group will stop as the second group slides in the water. Then they'll wait for the shark and swim, and then the boat will go around and pick up the first group, and they sort of just leapfrog it along. So then it's a lot easier, so you're not wearing yourself out. Uh, and obviously they'll tailor it depending on people's needs as well, you know, swimming abilities and things like that, conditions. And that's pretty much it. Then after you have lunch and everything and you cruise back in, look for other wildlife, usually do another snorkel in your home. Ooh, and, and like, what is the, what do you think the whale shark thinks or how do you think it like reacts to people swimming around it? Because they seem pretty relaxed. Is, is that the case? Yeah, we, um, people over there often joke, you know, it doesn't seem like there's much going on between the ears with the whale sharks, you know. They seem like a big old goldfish, basically, is what they mind you of. But, like, they're still very switched on. I think most of the time they just don't care, you know. They're such large animals. Once they're that size, they don't really have any predators, you know. And the orcas on Ningaloo don't seem to predate on them, so um, they're not really a risk there, you know. But you do get some sharks that are quite nervous. It could be the first time they've seen groups of people and they might speed up a bit or basically what will happen is they'll just dive down because you're sort of swimming in quite deep water you can't swim down the sharks are generally on the surface while you're swimming with them so you're like alongside and sort of spread around the sharks keeping the front clear so it has a clear path and if the shark's really nervous it doesn't like it'll just slowly descend down and it can get away and if that's the case you just stop and you go find another shark or uh, you try again when it comes up but they do generally speaking they're, they're quite good if they're really intimidated what they do is they bank and turn their back towards their threat and then they'll dive straight away uh, quite fast you know uh, they have the thickest skin i think of any animal in the world but i think oh, definitely in the ocean um, you have to double check on the facts but i think it's about 15 centimeters thick there so it's like a really strong defense yeah and they heal remarkably well as well you see ones with quite devastating boat strikes on their back and they heal up the next year they come back and they're quite healed yeah i mean before we, i want to talk about boat strikes a little bit too with them but what are they doing in like a couple of meters of water like is it for feeding like why are they up that shallow well so a lot of the research is still ongoing so there's a lot of theories i think it's a bit of a combination of everything where they're like thermoregulating because uh, they feed at quite deep depths you know they're diving down to a thousand meters plus and it's very cold water that's where a lot of the food is they also think a lot of the feeding is happening at night because that's when the planktonic life migrates to the surface or towards the shallows and they're feeding then but they occasionally do feed in the daytime depending if there's food available they'll definitely feed on it but generally, it's sort of basking in the sun, whether it helps digestion or more thermoregulation um, before they go down again. But I think it's only roughly about 10% of the time spent on the surface like that. I think it's just the way Ningaloo is structured um, so close to the reef. We have the depth there so they can feed and sit on the surface close to the reef through the day. So it's sort of one of those special places where everything sort of works together to be able to provide whale sharks on the surface for people to snorkel with. Yeah. 
Cool. And so you mentioned boat strikes. Tell us about what's the cause and what happens and if they do recover, like usually, or yeah, what your thoughts on that are? Yeah. So, well, boat strikes are probably one of the the big causes of whale shark fatalities and injuries around the world because they are so big and generally slow moving being a large animal and they tend to sit on the surface like that they're very susceptible to boat strikes so if it's a smaller boat you know if you're going too quick they're very hard to spot from the surface because of glare you know so if there's fishermen out there or just recreational boat users or cruise liners anything like that they're not really looking for them so if they're in the wrong spot at the right time you can strike them quite easily and then propellers can cut them if it's a small enough boat and they just sort of get it on the back i think um, you do see a lot with injuries that recover we're not really sure on the long-term implications of that uh, but we've seen some pretty devastating effects like where their tails being shredded to confetti and things like where they can't swim we've seen some with no dorsal left at all when it's still fine nice and healthy but i think the obviously the bigger the boat or the faster the boat the higher the risk of injury so it's a bit like roadkill uh, road injuries with kangaroos and stuff like that you know for the most part they get away with it but if you're in a high traffic area um, so Ningaloo is one of those you know or um, shipping channels up into Indonesia where there's a lot of legal fishing and things like that they can be very susceptible so the fishing like fishing's a definitely a big one too bycatch in terms like um, the trawling boats and uh, accidentally hooked on long lines and things like that is another big one as well so like if i mean there's so many threats to them but and i don't like to concentrate too much on the negatives on the show but what would your one kind of thing be to do to help whale sharks if you wanted to like make a bit of a difference what would the one one thing be uh in regards to whale sharks i think just going and swimming with them in a reputable place that has great like rules and regulations in place so a place like ningaloo or if you're going over to like the philippines and things like where it's a bit cheaper just do your homework on areas that do the right thing and want to protect them because if you could cre- if you can create that industry there like what's what happened on Ningaloo then all of a sudden the protections get greater and greater to the point now where the Ningaloo regulations are basically the worldwide standard so a lot of places are adopting them because it's so successful um, the biggest issue though um, with whale sharks is they migrate thousands of kilometers so it's hard to um, really nail down a specific thing to help them for the most part but maybe avoiding anything to do with that sort of illegal fishing area. So if you're overseas and things like that, you know, you obviously make sure if you are going to eat fish that you get it from a reputable place uh, or you know what you're eating, you know, things like flake in Australia. Um, I don't really think whale shark turns up there, but there's so many other species that turn up there too. So it's one of those things where you just, it's not worth risking, you know, so make sure you know what you're eating. But for the most part, supporting those really good locations that support the whale sharks as well. Yeah, I think that eco-tourist, environmental tourist thing is like su- yeah. super important. And if you create an industry around yeah. them, it is a bit of a debatable yeah. topic, but I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, yeah. There's places like, you know, Indonesia where they have those, you know, the floating pontoons where they're, they're coming up near the nets and fishermen are feeding them and stuff. And I know it is quite a, it can be a quite a controversial topic or people have thoughts for and against and that sort of thing. But, you know, at this point in time, you can just think of it as like a stepping stone to get somewhere else, you know. So if those sharks are hanging around, they could quite easily just kill those sharks, sell them, make a lot of money, and then they don't have to worry about the sharks hassling them. But instead they keep them alive because there's that interest from the tourists. So you can use that as a stepping stone to then educate them further, whether it be five, ten years, and then eventually sort of separate the whale sharks from that sort of area and make them a bit more natural and things like that. So... Yeah, that's probably a good thing too, is like you can still support those places. Obviously, look for the best ecotourism places first, 
Um, but then other places you can definitely still help them get to other better means of interactions and stuff as well. Yeah. And so you've taken some epic photos of whale shark, but if someone is just oh, kind geez. of getting started and they're like, you know, thinking about it, like what tips or how would you, how would you go about it? What's some of your secret tips, if you don't mind sharing for whale shark photography? Well, whale sharks are one of those things that they're, they're so big and they're usually in pretty clear water. You can get quite close to them on the tour. So the, Getting in position, and that's actually quite easy because you've got a guide, the plane, everything. It can be hard on tours, though, because you've got people in the shots. But basically, probably the first tip is use a really wide-angle lens because they're massive animals and you're getting quite close. Um, and as you know, in the water, the closer the better to reduce that the water in between the particles and stuff so you get a clearer image. So like a fisheye lens or a really wide-angle lens is probably the main thing. With whale sharks in Australia, you're not allowed to use any flash photography. It's, it's illegal, so protect their eyes to make sure their behaviour stays the same. So you want to position yourself with the sun behind, you know, so it's lighting up the right side of the shark. Being a dark animal, it's if you take the photo from the wrong side, it can generally you lose a lot of the detail and that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, you can get creative in that regard, but generally speaking, to start out, get that sun behind you, get in position. If you're on one of those tours, just make sure you're ready to go in position and you follow that swimmer and just sort of, you don't want to push anyone out of the way or anything like that. But if you just sort of get in that position where you're just off to the side and the people are just out of the view of your camera, you can get those amazing shots of the whale shark approaching and then you start swimming along and things like that. A lot of the time with those swims, a lot of people drop out after one or two swims. So if you just keep going and going and going, eventually you'll get the opportunity, you know. But with anything, it's just time in the water and that sort of thing. Like I'm very fortunate that I've had so many opportunities with wild sharks, so you get those crazy interactions. But generally speaking, they're sort of an easy animal to take photos of. If you're just looking for a photo, you know, to share with your friends and family and stuff. To get creative, it's very challenging. If you, you, you probably know how many photographers are on Ningaloo. Um, these days, you know, like every boat has one. There's a lot of aspiring photographers or photographers who live there. So to get a unique image of a whale shark these days is almost impossible. So, yeah, I don't know how to answer that one in that <laughs> regard. But you get lucky get lucky and get a bait ball like I did, you know. That sort of helps. Um, or different photographic techniques, you know, slow shutters and things like that. But, yeah, generally speaking, wide-angle lens and position the sun behind you and just get in the right position to get the image. Yeah, I think that's a big one because I often tell people – when because when you're using strobes often you want that sun in front of you and that's like how you do stuff yeah, exactly. so it's quite different i guess like the whale shark yeah yeah so i, I started out exclusively natural light photography so ningaloo being quite a shallow reef a lot of light everyone shoots natural light and it wasn't until pretty much the last sort of 18 months to two years i started using strobes but even on ningaloo for the most part i didn't use them you know unless it's like very early morning late afternoon or deeper but being that a, a lot of people surprised because if you get a nice wide angle lens and it's quite shallow you get a lot of good color so just before we kind of wrap up though do you have any cool facts on whale sharks i have a few not really facts but questions but do you have any cool facts uh, i think probably it would probably touched on most of the, the really cool facts uh one of the crazy ones that have sort of found over the years is that the females they believe can store the sperm and produce young at their own will um, so they found a female i think it was in taiwan i think it was in the 90s uh, with 300 juvenile whale sharks inside her. it was a um, bycatch or fisherman got it uh, but they're all at different stages of development so like eggs embryos ones that are ready to be born all that sort of thing but they're all side by the same male so uh, that's a pretty crazy fact, you know, that a whale shark can mate with a male and then keep that and then produce as they go. Um, maybe when there's more food or 
the water conditions are better. Uh, found that pretty, that's probably the most interesting one. And then another one is they actually have teeth. You know, a lot of people being filter, like a lot of people think being filter feeders, they don't have teeth, but they have like 3,000 little teeth. You know, so a lot of people think, oh, they're safe. They don't have teeth, but they actually have lots and lots of teeth, you know, but they just, they don't really use them. Yeah. Do you have any idea why they have teeth? Is it something to do with mating or I know we haven't really seen mating before in the wild, but what are your thoughts? Yeah. So I suppose all sharks and rays have the teeth in to some degree, whether it be like more plates or teeth. So it's probably left over from more evolution than anything. You know, sharks do grab onto the pectoral fins when they mate, but the last couple of years, they sort of found there was one whale shark that came up to a boat one day and it came up upside down to this boat, like belly to belly. And they had no idea what it was doing. They thought, I wonder if that's like a mating behavior. And this was their, their theory. And they were sort of looking into it. And this, they showed some footage of it at a whale shark conference in Exmouth a few years ago. And then the following season, one of the spotter planes actually seen from the air a whale shark. They thought it was a white whale shark next to another whale shark, and it was one coming up upside down underneath, looking like they were trying to mate. So they they're not wow. yeah, so they're not one hundred percent sure whether the whale sharks actually bite onto the pectoral fins or not, uh, and that'll explain why you don't really see any sharks with those mating scars or anything. Um, I mean, they could do in other parts of the world, but Ningaloo you never really see them because you do get females there still, and they're definitely mature, being the size they are. Um, so that could be a thing, but I mean, with the whale sharks, there's there's so little that we actually know, you know, they're still unlocking it. They're only just discovering the migratory patterns of the East coast population, you know, which is mind boggling. I think we're in 2023 and we still don't really know that much about them. Yeah. And, and I mean, that was one of the things I looked them up and I was like, there really aren't that many crazy facts I can kind of think of. My, my biggest kind of question was where do the young go? Where are they born? And as you said, like if she can reproduce them all the time, like, What's going on? We, we just don't know, do we? No, we don't know. So they're still trying to find that. I think there's one baby or juvenile that was found about 40 to 60 centimetres, I think, over near uh, India or Sri Lanka or somewhere over there years ago. But that's pretty much about it. I've I've seen one about a metre and a half on Ningaloo before. It was shorter than, this, than a person with fins on. Whoa. Uh, that was that was pretty incredible. So, But we're not sure how old that would be, whether they rapidly grow. You know, I think in aquariums, they grow quite rapidly to two to three metres in the first year, but it's hard to tell between aquariums and, and nature. I think a lot of them would get eaten as juveniles as well, you know, like, like turtle hatchlings sort of um, stuff. Being a small animal in the open ocean, there's not much food, so anything that comes across them with a big enough mouth is going to have a go at them for sure. Another probably very interesting fact which has only really come to light in the last few years is that they actually hunt fish you know even though they're a filter feeder yeah it sort of brings me to the, to the image that i had in the australian geographic competition feeding on the bait ball so there was theories behind it they know that they hung around the bait boats with the nets in asia but they never really knew if they actively hunted the fish like bait balls uh, especially like ningaloo or not they definitely hunted like krill balls and things but actual fish they weren't sure and then last couple of years, a few photographers and boats have been lucky enough to document it and see it and get enough information about it to, for them to produce a scientific paper on it as well. So that's another thing. Um, I think the one that we had that day, we, we had it around for probably two, three hours of it following one bait ball and it eventually gave up and left and then went to another one. And then the only reason it started feeding is because a school of tuna turned up and then they started attacking the ball and the whale shark just completely changed and just started walking at it you know like a whale wow see, like mouth open just going 100 miles an hour as fast as it could through it was like a full-on frenzy and it's quite incredible to think of a whale shark being able to maneuver and 
turn and be so agile. And it sort of made me think, because uh, they're still trying to work it out, you know, made me think that the Welsh Sharks could just follow those bait balls along, especially on Ningaloo, waiting for another predator group such as sharks or tuna or any pelagic fish to ball it up and attack it so they can pounce on it, you know? Yeah, I guess it shows you how like interconnected everything is. The whale shark needs the help of the tuna in order to actually get like a huge source of its food. That's that's incredible behavior. Yeah. And that that could be another reason why we don't really see it in other places of the world that much, you know. Maybe it used to happen a lot back in the day, but due to overfishing, uh, you know, we've lost ninety percent of our large predatory fish and sharks. So and then the bait fish obviously are the same thing. So the oceans are so depleted. Uh, maybe once upon a time when there was so much bait fish these interactions and hunting behaviors were more commonplace and it's only really Ningaloo where there's not that big commercial fishing industry where the bait fish and this, you know, that sort of like a sardine run of Africa where that sort of still takes place at the same time of year as when the wild sharks are there. So you have those opportunities. Yeah. So um, you never know, you know, it's too hard to go back in time to try and find out whether it happened, but it's quite an incredible um, fact. I think that they actually still actively hunt. Yeah. Much like another shark, you know? Yeah. Yeah, wow. Well, that kind of brings us to the end of this episode. But before we go, if anyone wants to see your your amazing photo of the whale shark eating the bait ball and any of your other work, what should they do and where should they go? I think the best place is probably my website, so which is just jakewiltonphoto.com. That's the easiest place. I have some galleries on there, nature galleries and commercial galleries and stuff. Uh, otherwise, Instagram, Jake Wilton Photo, TikTok, Jake Wilton Photo or Facebook is all the same. Um, you can get a bit lost in Instagram and stuff like that. So if you want to look at like a best of gallery, definitely the website's probably the best. There's a print store on there too. So if you want to buy any prints, then that's the place to go. Awesome. And I'll post links to that in the uh, podcast feed. Well, it's been awesome. Thanks for being on the show, mate. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having me. Sea Creatures Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by myself, Matt Testoni. If you've liked the show, consider jumping on to either buy me a coffee or Patreon, where you can give a small donation to help with the monthly running costs. Just a big shout out to both Georgia and Lucy for buying me a coffee on Buy Me A Coffee to help support the podcast. And to our Patreons, Derek, Imogen, Bridge, Sally, Jeremy, Kaylee, and Warren. Thank you so much. Your support is really appreciated. And if you want to visit our Patreon account, it's patreon.com slash Podcast, Or our Buy Me A Coffee, which is buymeacoffee.com slash Testoni. And both these links can be found through the website www.mtunderwatermedia.com. Music by the talented and amazing Dan Musel, who does both our intro and outro themes, and production assistance by George McGrath. Coming up next time on the Sea Creatures podcast, we're going to be talking all about the weird world of eels with our eel-centric guest, Malcolm. So join us then. This has been the Sea Creatures podcast. Over and out.